Shortly after C.S. Lewis died, his friend, Dr. Austin Farrar, said to me, You were fortunate that the man whose writings you admired so much was as likable as his books. It might not, you know, have worked out that way. Suppose you had been an admirer of the books of Evelyn Waugh, and met him. Waugh, as everyone knew, was a man of colossal rudeness. Austin Farrar's comment came to mind as I read over this fascinating book and discovered how many lives, including my own, have been enormously and permanently changed by C.S. Lewis. While reading the essays, I wondered if the lives of the authors would have changed as much if they had met Lewis. Would a meeting with Lewis have made any difference to what they got from his books? I have no doubt that if Lewis read these words, he would have had me point to a passage in The Personal Heresy in which he said, I must look where the writer looks, and not turn round to face him. I must make of him not a spectacle, but a pair of spectacles. He believed a book should be judged on its own merits rather than on how much it tells us about the author. Let us grant that a book should stand or fall by its own merits. Even so, if a reader happens to know the author of his or her favorite books, and Lewis knew quite a few authors, most notably J.R.R. Tolkien, the reader will find that the reading of these books is colored by the acquaintance of the author. The friends of Lewis that I've met all liked him, regardless of what they thought of his books, and those readers who met him liked him as much as they liked his books, and for the same reasons. Except for Joy Davidman and Clyde Kilby, Thomas Howard and I are the only contributors to this volume who had the good fortune to meet C.S. Lewis. What effect did meeting him have on my enjoyment of his books? Do all the others represented in these pages understand his works less well because they never met him? I was overwhelmed when I first came across Lewis's writings in 1953, and until we met ten years later, I wanted very much merely to see him, although I never imagined I would have the chance. When that chance finally came in June 1963 and I rang the doorbell of the kilns, I was terrified. I soon forgot my fear when Lewis invited me in for tea and we talked. Hours later, when he escorted me to the bus stop, I was sad that what I imagined would be a single meeting was ending. But Lewis invited me back to see him many times, and he eventually asked me to become his secretary and move into his house. In the preface and some of the letters in The Collected Letters of C.S. Lewis, Volume 3, I mention that I went back to the United States at the beginning of the summer with the intention of joining Lewis in January 1964. But sadly, those plans were never realized because of Lewis's sudden death on November 22, 1963. However, I cannot complain. I expected to meet him only once, and feel nothing but gratitude for his great and unexpected kindness. Did those months with Lewis affect any further change in me other than that already made by his books? That is a question Lewis would have been eager to answer. After we'd come to know each other, he invited me to call him Jack, and for a while he was almost like two people— 
the author of my favorite books, and Jack Lewis, the friend who would never speak of his own work unless I pressed him. Quoting one of his books one day, I suddenly realized how it must have sounded to him. "'As C.S. Lewis has said,' I began, "'Oh, but you are C.S. Lewis.' Thereafter he made it a joke between us, and whenever he wanted something done he would say, for example, "'As C.S. Lewis has said, I would like a pot of tea. As C.S. Lewis has said, you shall go make it.' To turn from the printed page to the author of those pages was an exhilarating experience. However, from the first day we met I noticed how exactly Lewis sounded like his books. Even he could not always find fresh ways of phrasing something, and I remember him saying some things precisely as they are found in his books.